He's made us free, and he has put us together to celebrate our freedom. We're in a series of messages called Together. Together we worship. Together we follow Christ. Together we're shaped. We help one another be shaped into the image of Christ. Today, together we serve. Next week, together we multiply, and we'll wrap up the series next week. I was reading something recently that reminded me of the three smallest bones of the body, the anvil, the hammer, and the stirrup. Where do we find them? Inner ear, inner ear. Now, I've never seen any one of those bones, but I'm sure glad I have them. What's true of small bones in the body is true of people in the body of Christ. There are no little people. There are no insignificant members of the body of Christ. We come together today as the church. We are part of the church, capital C, that stretches around the world today. And we are part of this church, little c, this particular family of faith. And we are called to be together for a variety of reasons, I suppose. But one of the reasons is that we might be on earth what Jesus looks like. He ascended into heaven after he was crucified, buried, rose on the third day. He's at the right hand of God. And he, when he said, unless I leave you, then I, I can't, my father won't send his promised gift, which was the Holy Spirit who comes to live within us. And as he lives in us, we become then the body of Christ individually, but more importantly, collectively, as we are him and and, and engaging in this world. That's what our text teaches us today. It's Ephesians chapter 4 is where we are. A great church, a strong church that Paul loved so much, he spent more time at this church in Ephesus than he did in any other congregation. And this is what he says, beginning in verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called, uh, and and to one hope, and you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, and in all, and through all. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives, and he gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. 
From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is such a key text for us and understanding how serious we take this challenge of Jesus to be servants in the body of Christ, being members of the body. Now, when we think of membership, we usually think of joining the Elks Club or the Boy Scouts or something like that. But the, the, that, that is not a, uh, it's, it's not an unhealthy term for the church. The Bible uses that term because you have members of your physical body. We call them members of our body. You are a member here. We trust if you're not, you will want to be part of this family of faith, become part of the body. Here's what we learned. First of all, the recognition of spiritual gifts. There are a couple of things to understand about this. Spiritual gifts are abilities to meet needs. We have five lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. One in Romans 12, two in 1 Corinthians 12, right here in Ephesians 4, and then 1 Peter 4. Each of the lists are different from one another. They're not intended to be exhaustive, even in their collection together. They are not exhaustive at all, but they're illustrative of the different kinds of gifts that people have. And these gifts are given so that no, no matter what need is, is, is felt by any one person, there is a corresponding gift to address it. Now, see, sometimes when you hear a, a, a sermon on serving, you think, oh, they want us to do stuff. They just want us to get involved in the church. Well, that's true, but there's something far greater going on than we understand. You know, some spiritual gifts are needed to heal us when we're wounded or to encourage us when we're down or to challenge us when we're lagging or correct us when we're going astray or to love us when we're being rejected or inform us when we're being uh, when we're, we're being somehow ignorant in our lives. All gifts are necessary for strengthening the body of Christ. Second, spiritual gifts are also given to every person. Now, you may think by your own self-estimation, well, I'm not very talented, I'm not very gifted, but that's your assessment, and if that's your assessment, it's a wrong one. In fact, if you criticize yourself because you're not gifted like you wish you were, it's really an attack against how God made you to be. It's a strike against him who is the potter. We're the clay. He shapes us in the way he wants us to be shaped. And so we have to be careful as we recognize our gifts. It says in our text, to each Christ has given a portion of the Spirit's power to meet needs. And so the, the church becomes more beautiful as these gifts are fully exercised and needs are met, are, are, are met. Each church then has a different mix. That's why from church to church, you'll find a different kind of personality. Have you noticed that if you've gone to different churches? Every church has its own personality, just like every family does. Why do families have different personalities? It's because the people that comprise that family are very different from the family next door. And one of the things that makes that family unique is that particular gift set of that family. Same thing is true of the church. There is no church just like this one because of your part here and the way God designed you to be. But we want to keep being made better for his glory, for his honor. So this text is not for super believers or elite believers because there's no such thing 
Everybody who's a follower of Christ Jesus is expected to play a part in in the health of the body of Christ. Now, take a look at the objective of spiritual gifts. Now, Paul writes in long sentences, we know that. Uh, More, they're longer in the Greek original text, really, than they are even in the English language. This text tells us about the certain gifts that God has given. He mentions here about apostles and prophets, about evangelists and pastor teachers, which is really one word. And they are in special positions in God's unfolding of his redemption plan. They were used in different ways through the course of history to accomplish a certain thing for a certain time period. Then there came a time when God calls people into ministry for the purpose of equipping others to do the work of ministry. Now, you may think I'm hired or Luke's hired or the staff is hired to do the work that this church is supposed to do. Nothing could be further from the truth. Our real, in fact, we do a disservice sometimes by doing too much that doing things that, that you ought to be doing. We cheat you out of the joy of doing it. We are equippers of the body of Christ. It's our job to challenge and to train and to prepare you for works of service. I'm not making that up, am I? You just read it from Paul's words right here in the scripture. And so, therefore, you are valuable. This jar of marbles was my wife's jar. Her grandmother had it. And her, she'd go to her grandmother's in Maysville, Kentucky, and play with these marbles 60 years ago. I'm fascinated by marbles even though I've lost a few. <laughs> These are, they're, they're such beautiful things, aren't they? They're beautiful marbles. They're in this container. It's an, a, an antique uh, uh, mason jar. And they're fascinating. But you know, not one of these marbles affects the other one. They're an aggregate. They're just in the same container, but they're not doing anything uh, that influences another marble. Now, that's possible in a church. See, a church can come together. We can be a lot of individual bodies in this building, the same container, and never affect one another, never make each other better. That would be an aggregate. That's not what we are. We are congregating today. We are a congregation. Now, I hate to go to another word picture, a metaphor, but I will, because that word congregation, the centerpiece, the root word is Greg, G-R-E-G, which means flock. We are a flock together, and, and, and we make each other better for being together. We affect one another positively for the kingdom of God and for effectiveness. And every one of us is significant. If you're here, and that's all you do, that you are a receiver here, and that's it, you are nothing, you are, you are nothing better than just sort of participating in an aggregate and that's not what God wants for you. He wants you and your giftedness to affect, affect all of us that are here. H.J. Cadbury was a professor at Harvard University back in the 30s and 40s. In conservative days of the school, he taught Bible and theology. And he loved challenging his freshmen to read the Bible, the life of Jesus, those who had never opened the Bible before. And uh, then he would ask them to write about what they discovered. And he had this student who wrote this essay. Now, we're talking, you know, 70 years ago. This is what the student wrote. You read about Jesus, but who is he? What is he? Despite being absolutely approachable to the weakest and most broken people, he is completely fearless before the proud and corrupt. 
Despite being profoundly human and becoming weary and lonely and moved to joy and love and anger, we never see him moody. We never see him inconsistent. He is tender without being weak, strong without being harsh, humble without the slightest lack of confidence. He has conviction without intolerance, enthusiasm without fanaticism, holiness without Phariseeism, passion without prejudice. This man alone never made a false step, never struck a jarring note. This is life at its highest. Don't you love it? That's what Jesus was like. Now, every person who ever sees us in this assembly, that ought to be their experience. When they come here, the one they see is Jesus. Paul said to the Corinthians, when somebody comes into the assembly, they ought to leave saying, surely God was in that place. I wonder if people see that in us. Do you remember the first time you came here? Did you have to make yourself come back a second time? You weren't so sure about that crowd? If we are all doing what we're called to do, it strengthens the whole body and we increasingly look like Jesus. That's the purpose of spiritual gifts. And I need you for that. You need me for that. We need each other for that. Now, we're not going to know each other intimately and deeply, but some we will. And even if you're one of that member, that the part, that member of the body that nobody notices necessarily, nevertheless, your presence changes the hue, the tint, just a little bit. Haven't you bought paint at Lowe's before? And you get it on the wall, and mm, that yellow is not quite right. And so you go back, could you just put a dab? And then you slap it on. Oh, it's perfect. Now, would anybody else have necessarily, you wouldn't necessarily notice putting that little bit of color in, but it changes everything about the feel of the room you are painting. God, in beautiful strokes, is putting together a beautiful piece of art through all of us. And we come to that scripture here in just a second in our next, as we move forward, because this moves us to the implication of spiritual gifts, that we are not passive in them, but we're active. This is what he says in Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's, what's the word? Workmanship. Glad you were good readers. Good, good readers. <laughs> Workmanship. You know what that really means in the Greek? It means masterpiece. Now, you may not feel like a masterpiece. You may feel garage sale quality. But God calls you a masterpiece. And we become, because of Satan's attacks, we become very good at self-criticism, at negative thinking about ourselves, beating ourselves up, but you are doing great damage to God's masterpiece when you do that. Nobody is just like you. And when you come here, you're adding beauty to us as God paints us into something beautiful. You take your gifts, your gender, your experiences, your ethnicity, whatever it is, what, however he's gifted you, and put it together. Now, this is the issue you have to deal with. All of us have to deal with it. Who's 12 years old here? Anybody 12? A lot of 12-year-olds. You're 12? You're 12? Why are you going like that? You're not sure if you're 12? Okay. All right. Uh, all right. 
the typical 12-year-old in our culture has watched 12,000 commercials by that age. Now, what do you think that does for the consumer mentality? And our culture shapes us that way. It tells us what we must have to be happy. What happens is then we transfer that to church. Now, I know church shopping has to happen someday. If you're new to a community, you have to go church to church because every church has its own personality and so forth. But we, we adopt this consumer mindset that the church needs to address my needs. And if it doesn't, I'll go shopping because that church down the street got a really big ad on and looks like that, that what they're selling is better for me. And then that wears out. And you see what sells on sale down the street in another church. Now, that is unhealthy. It strikes against accountability and responsibility in the family of faith, the family of God. And so we have to guard against that kind of mentality all the time. And, and, and um, I don't know that I've ever had anybody in the years I've been here come to me and say, you know, we moved to town. Um, these are our gifts. Uh, are these gifts that your church could use to make you better? It's always about, you know, what do you have? What's your youth program like? What's your kids like? What's your choir like? What's your music like? What's the worship like? All that kind of, all these questions. Does this fit me and what I want? So, as all of us are awakened out of our slumber and become alive in Christ, we start seeing our whole self-perception changes. He has freed me to become who, who he created me to be. That's what happens when we're born again. When you are born, before we're born again, see, sin suffocates our gifts. And when we are born again, what happens is we are free then to become who he designed us to be to begin with. And so if you come here, and, you, and, you, and I, please, I hope you don't hear like I'm scolding. I don't want to scold anybody. I want to challenge us to think about who we could be if we were all operating according to our giftedness. If we don't, it's just like, you know, you're, you're watching the tube and your foot goes to sleep. And and. It doesn't feel good, right? You have to kick it awake, you know? And some, some have dozed off in the body of Christ. Some members and need to be awakened, awakened to serve and to give and to do. Because that's what, that's what all this is like. You see, ministry service costs you something. If you're serving in some way and, there, and there, it doesn't really cost you anything because you, maybe you do it while you're in the building and, you know, you're just here and it doesn't really cost you anything, do you think that's valuable to God? Ministry comes with a price tag of body, physical energy and time and planning and, and not doing something maybe you'd otherwise be doing or enjoying. Whatever it is, it's, you, you spend yourself. We spend ourselves for the kingdom of God. Sometimes I've, I've had people through the years say, you know, I've been, I've been gone three months and nobody called me. I say, well, have you been gone? And, well, I haven't really said it, but I want to say, <laughs> if you've been gone three months and you haven't got a phone call, I doubt you're investing in anybody's life at the church. If you're investing in serving, somebody is going to be missing you. And what you give to build up the body of Christ. Not divided, but diverse as well. We're designed 
to meet needs differently, and, and we address those. That's why we're, we're, we're thankful that there is such diversity within unity. Now, the Spirit creates unity. It's our job to maintain the unity that the Holy Spirit creates. And so, in this diversity, we're going to have different things. You can stand in a group of people and somebody says, man, I just, we got to, we got to get to that hurricane. And so last week, you know, 11 people from our church went down to Katy, Texas and served hurricane victims. Praise God for them. But somebody could be standing in that circle and say, they, they give us so much government money. We should be going uh, somewhere else. We should, I, we should be going to Ghana to dig wells instead of pouring just more in what we already have here. We have it so good here. And somebody else speaks up. Why are we even going here? Look at just the metropolitan area here. Look at all we should be doing for sheltering wings or the homeless or whatever it is. Praise God, we all have different passions. That's good news. Then all kinds of things be addressed based upon the givenness of the calling, the experience, the gender, ethnicity, uh, whatever it is, however it is God has shaped you to be. And so we don't use that to create division. We don't make, we're not divisive out of that. We celebrate our diversity, praise God. We're not jealous, but honoring. Pride is a continual tool used by Satan to create jealousy. That was the problem of the Corinthian church, wasn't it? What a messed up church they were. Because they were evaluating each other's gifts. And they were rating each other's gifts accordingly. And we can start seeing people like that. We have to be very careful. And just because Luke and Tim and I preach... And you all may rock babies in the nursery, you know, whatever, whatever you do over there with those kind. Uh, uh, I almost said stone babies. We don't stone babies. We do rock them. Uh, whatever you do, uh, that all, the, all of it's valuable. It's all valuable. Now, ours might be more public, but that doesn't make us more important when, when people are looking at the beauty of the body of Christ. Every Single person is significant. You add color. You add dimension. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. You know, a penny. You go walk down a park and I see a penny. I mean, how, pennies, how many pennies have we ever picked up? Some, some pennies, we don't even, it's not worth the energy to go down and get it, right? <laughs> but a penny collected is so very valuable. You know, if fuel prices go up one cent, it costs Delta Airlines $25 million. If Krispy Kreme... Jacked up the price of a donut by one cent, they would be $27 million richer. Now, you may feel like, well, I'm, I'm worth about a penny around here. Do you know what you're worth in the family of God? You are of inestimable value when you're joined with the rest of us who have been born again by the blood of Jesus. And so we're not jealous of one another. We celebrate one another. We're, we, we, find, we find value in one another. Every one of you is significant. You're important here. Not the end, but the means. These gifts, they're not the end, but the means. Again, they're given so that we look like Jesus. It's not the same as the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is about being like Jesus. The, 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 the gifts of the Spirit are for doing like Jesus. We're all to develop all, grow in the fruit of the Spirit. But we're not all designed to do the gifts of the Spirit. Yet both are significant. They're important. Don't make the mistake. Now, you, you may be doing so much that Jesus' likeness is reduced. You know, you can burn yourself. You can give yourself to the point that you're just cranky and grumpy and terrible to be around. 
Well, if that's how you're exercising your gift, do you think that honors the Lord? Or you could be doing so much that it's cheating other people from the gifts God has given them. That's usually not the problem. Usually the problem in any given church is just a few, few number of people doing most of the work. I tell you, there is a place for you to serve. Kevin, Kevin Carr is right back there. Kevin, raise your hand. He's our adult ministry. Most of you know him. And you see him out at the hub along with Caitlin Mangano and Wade right now. And you can go there anytime and tell him, I want to serve. You can go to our website. Go to the drop-down menu. Go to serve. Can they take the test assessment right online? Yeah, the gift assessment is right online, and you can take that online to find out. If you don't know how you're gifted, then use a tool that will help guide you and tell the adult department, look, I, I want to be used. I just don't know where you need me. And we'll do our best to find out the best place for you in the body of Christ here. This is what, this is what we're called to do. Finally, we have the imperative of spiritual gifts. It all boils down to one word, and that is love. Paul says, speaking the truth in love will build ourselves up into the fullness of Christ. We become mature. You cannot become mature. Please hear me. If you forget, you're going to forget most of what I said today. I know that. But w- w- without being involved in ministry, you cannot be mature. You cannot. To be like Jesus, we have to be involved in ministry. Remember when, when Paul wrote to the uh, Corinthian church about spiritual gifts, right smack dab in the middle, he put the love chapter. Because you can exercise all your gifts. You may think you're doing okay, but if, you're not, if we're not doing it in love, then it falls flat before the throne of God and it impacts adversely the, the body of Christ here on earth. And so the imperative is that whatever we're doing, we're going to couch in love, we're going to make sure our motive is love, And we want to do it with people who love. And our object is to love God with all of our being, all that we are, because he has been so amazingly good to us. How can I not serve him? So will you? Will you do that together with us to help Plainfield Christian Church look like Jesus? When Paul writes this, He quotes from Psalm 68. He refers to the ancient practice of kings when they would go out to war and they'd win a victory, come back with all the spoils from the kingdom they conquered. And then he ascended to the throne and then he would make the kingdom and its people richer because of those spoils. Jesus Christ, he uses that prophetically, even though he didn't understand it, to look forward to a greater king than himself that would one day come, Jesus Christ, who would descend to these lower regions. He would be crucified, he would be buried, and the third day be raised to life again. Then he ascended back to his father, he'd go to the throne, and then from that position, he sent the Holy Spirit to live in us, and by so doing, he gave good gifts to people that are in you today. And we've been born again, unleashing those gifts for his glory. That's how it works, friends. He did this so our gifts could, could enable the body of Christ on earth to look more and more like him all the time. May that be our objective, our, our object, our objective because our great king conquered our greatest king, the king of terror, as Job calls him, death itself. 
How can we not give him our best in return? How can we not lay ourselves down and say, God, call me. Whatever you want me to do, here I am. You make yourself available, and God will make it known what he has for you to do. Let's none of us be guilty of being consumers. Let's join together and be the congregation God wants us to be, not just to be happy together, but to be like Jesus together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have called us to a life like this. Forgive us for whining. Forgive us for all the times we've said no. For all the times that we have uh, rather just enjoyed our life without laying them down. When we have forgotten the splendor of the church, the body of Christ. Wake us up, Father. And use us for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, if you've not been born again, your gifts are being suffocated. If you want to be truly free to be the person designed, God designed you to be, you have to be born again by being baptized into Jesus Christ and being resurrected to a new life. Let's stand together and worship.